Hiya. Oh, thank you. <clears throat> thank you, Jill, for reading so brilliantly. You coward. <laughs> no, only joking. Thank you so much. Um, that is one of my favorite passages, the entirety of Scripture, by the way. Um, just awesome. Just awesome. Um, Revelation 1, 9 to 20. It's the, uh, it's the revelation of Jesus. Sometimes I give you nice She does sometimes give me nice passages. That's nice. Um, I've, got, I've got a question for you at the very, very start of... Um, of this morning, and that is, what does Jesus look like? Okay, now I'm not going to ask because we'll be here a while if you tell us all the different ideas that you've got. But you know, the early church had a couple of ideas that's a Byzantine and there's a Roman Catholic image of what Jesus might look like. But if, like me, you were a child of the 70s and 80s, there's only one Jesus Robert Powell. And Jesus of Nazareth, if you watched that series growing up, it spawned a million t-shirts and posters with Robert Powell. He should have licensed his own image. Okay, Loads of pictures based on Robert Powell. In fact, Jesus has been portrayed loads in Hollywood. In the early days of, of movies, um, you weren't allowed to show Jesus' face because it was considered too holy, even in Hollywood. But then they decided just to have an actor. And there's been loads playing the character of Jesus. And here, a very clever person has done a superimposition of all the different um, actors who've played Jesus. And then a composite picture of what a Hollywood Jesus looks like. And it's coming up right about... Nah-ish. <laughs> there it is. There's Hollywood Jesus. Good looking, isn't he? Clearly looks Middle Eastern. Well, a few, um, a few years ago, there was a documentary um, about reconstructing the face of Jesus. And it looked a bit like this. What they did, an archaeologist discovered uh, the skull of a man in his 30s from around first century Palestine. And they did all their science stuff. And they rebuilt this face. And they said, Jesus probably looked more like this. Okay? Middle Eastern, tightly cropped hair and beard. For some people... The image of Jesus' face is based on the Shroud of Turin. Loads of controversy around this. Who knows what it is? Lots of different theories. But, but again, some really clever sciencey people put on some 3D graphics and they produced what they think could have been the face of the man in the Shroud, which many people think this is the face of Jesus. There was this woman who, very devoted um, Christian, she had, you know, um, crosses and, and statues and everything around her, around her house. And she had a picture of Jesus um, on her mantelpiece until her daughter texted her this. Mom, that's not a picture of Jesus. That's Obi-Wan Kenobi from Star Wars. <laughs> what does Jesus look like? Well, we are going to see the image of Jesus as John sees him in First. Century. Now, John, as you know, was uh, not having a PowerPoint that worked. There we go. Was exiled onto the island of Patmos, which is just off the coast of Turkey. And it's a rocky, small island, um, not, not huge at all, but very rocky, a bit beachy, a bit sandy. It was used as a penal colony, but it was also a normal colony where they put people in exile in Roman times. And it's just interesting to know what, what actually was happening with John like this. Okay, John was probably in his 90s by this point 
when he wrote this. As Lisa said last week, and you're not going to argue with us, this is John the Apostle. There are some people with light letters after the names which say it wasn't, but it was, all right? Just believe me. Okay? He was an exile in Patmos. But before that, the story of John is after the resurrection and the ascension, the church gets dispersed around the world. And tradition says that John went to Ephesus uh, with Mary. And it's there that he looked after Mary into her old age and her death. Um, And it's there that he had a bit of a proto-church, one that Paul comes and builds upon. There's some great stories, one of which where he goes to the synagogue and there's a heretic called Serinthus there. And he storms out going, I'm not going in there if that heretic child of the devil Serinthus is there. Now you see why he's called Son of Thunder. He's got a bit of a temper on him, hasn't he? But he left Ephesus when he was arrested and he was persecuted by the, the emperor because he wouldn't proclaim that he was Lord and God. Domitian was one of the really nasty ones. I mean, Roman emperors are pretty bad. This was a particularly nasty one with huge delusions of grandeur. He made it law that you had to uh, uh, refer to him as Lord and God. And if he didn't, it was atheism and disloyalty to the empire. And you deserve to die. Lots of Jews, lots of Christians who could not take that oath died horrible deaths. And they took John and they plunged him into a vat of boiling oil. And it didn't affect him. This is what tradition says. And so out of desperation, they thought, let's keep him silenced. Let's not have him have an effect on the church. So let's put him in exile on Patmos where he can do no damage. (laughs) Little did they know. John was on Patmos, but on the day of the Lord, he was in the Spirit. On the day of the Lord, he was in the Spirit. He was captured and put on an island, on a prison. But no bars can stop our God. On the Lord's day, he was in the Spirit, having been put on Patmos for the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus. The world in which John was living in, the church was under severe persecution. He was in exile, but he was still in prayer. Now, in this book, it's not a rationale about why people are suffering, why people are being arrested and persecuted. God doesn't turn up with a list of reasons to make, it, make John understand more. Instead, what John has given is a vision of Jesus, just Jesus. In the midst of this trial and persecution, that's what he's to communicate so my, our world is in the grip of huge Christian persecution to greater and lesser extents. I was reading about Eritrea and Afghanistan this morning in my prayer thing from Open Doors. And these are some of the guys that I met when I was at Calais. People, young men from Eritrea and from Afghanistan who face the threat of death because they say that they are Christians. To a similar situation John has given a vision of Jesus. So I'm asking you, what is your vision of Jesus? Is it inadequate? Is it inaccurate? Is it incomplete? Is it inaccurate? Do you remember those children's Bibles that used to have painted pictures in them? And, you know, Jesus was blonde hair and blue eyed. (laughs) Yeah, that's not accurate. (laughs) But wonder in a spiritual sense, is our picture of Jesus inaccurate as well? Is it inadequate? Do we think of him a really nice guy? Really good teacher. Do we think of him as God who can't be touched? Is that inadequate? Is our vision of Jesus incomplete? Because at some point, we stopped 
looking for Jesus, that we were happy with the Sunday school picture that we got or the one that we preached about 15 years ago. That'll do us. Have we an inadequate, incomplete, and inaccurate vision of Jesus? Challenge for you. Can you describe the taste of strawberry? Any ideas? You've all had strawberry flavor, yeah? Describe it to me. Yeah, so is a grape. Come on. Taste of strawberry. Cheat. Okay. Come on, what else? It's pretty. It's gritty. So is grit. Okay. Come on. Why is that, David? It's a very hard to describe. In fact, you can only ever say it's like something. Because you can only understand the flavor of strawberry if you eat a strawberry. Otherwise, it's just what someone's saying. It's like something else. It's like a raspberry, but not quite. It's like this, but not quite. You have to experience it for yourself. And this is what John is doing. He's trying to explain a vision and experience of Jesus in the best way he can. He says, it's like this, it's like this, it's like this. But this vision will not comprehend exactly what Jesus is like. You know those stories whenever you try and tell, you know, we were out the other night and this certain thing happened that was really funny and the person standing there goes, I don't get it. And they go, you had to be there. You had to experience it yourself. This is John's explaining the experience he has with Jesus. And John knew Jesus really well. He was his best mate. If you read the gospel, he was the one who laid his head upon Jesus' breast. He was one of the three that Jesus took everywhere. He went with him, um, Peter, James, and John. He was considered the, the apostle who Jesus loved. And it's not the first time he's seen Jesus a bit like this. In the Mount of Transfiguration, he saw Jesus through the kind of ultra-personal advert, standing there in white glory. He's seen that before, but this is nothing compared to what he's seeing just now, the cosmic Christ enthroned King of kings and Lord of lords. So let's start looking at the passage in particular. He turned to see the voice. Hard to see a voice, isn't it? Unless that voice is the voice of God, the word made flesh. He turns to see the voice and he sees one like the Son of Man walking amongst seven golden lampstands. It's later on that Jesus says in the same passage, the lampstands equal the, the churches, the seven churches that Jill chickened out of reading. <laughs> Those seven churches were ones that John knew very well, but they're representative of the church as a whole. It reminds us that revelation is to be seen often as symbolic and not as literal. That's just a bit of a warning out there. But Jesus, where is he? He is among the lampstands. He is within his church. For a church that's facing the level of persecution and internal strife that they are experiencing in this first century, it is a powerful message. It's not just locating Jesus in the vision. It's locating Jesus where he is in the here and now. He is it within his church. Jesus has called his church to be salt and light. He's called his church to make disciples of all nations. It's Jesus' plan A and there isn't a plan B. He walks amongst his church. Bill Hybel said the local church is the hope of the world because that's Jesus' plan and he walks amongst the churches. And what does he see? <clears throat> 
John sees one like the Son of Man. Now, I tried my very best to do a Google search for this image of the, man, the Son of Man in white. And frankly, they were rubbish. <laughs> they were tacky. They were cheesy. They just weren't good. <laughs> I found one. I doctored it a wee bit, forgive me. And it looks a bit like this. The vision of the Son of Man walking amongst the seven lampstands that represent the church as a whole. He says, I turned and I saw one who looked like the Son of Man. Now, if, if you're finding a, a puzzle difficult, you want to get some clues, don't you? Well, to read Revelation and kind of get a little bit behind it, read Daniel, okay? If you look at Daniel chapter 7, here's a, a phrase, some phrasing that sounds familiar, written hundreds of years before. Daniel says, I looked and I saw in his vision the Ancient of Days who took a seat. His clothing was white as snow, head, hair of head. Hair of his head was white like wool, thrown flaming fire, river fire before him. And then he said, in my vision I saw um, one who was like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days, was led into his presence, given authority, glory, sovereign power. All nations, peoples of every language worshipped him, and his dominion is an everlasting one that will never be destroyed. That's Daniel. Do you hear the echoes in Revelation? This is the Son of Man. This is a powerful, powerful image, isn't it? Of a glorious risen one, but yet Jesus uses it as one of his favorite titles. And we think he's just telling people, I'm a bloke, I'm a man. The Son of Man title is a loaded one. It says that he is the glorious Messiah, but it also says, I am human. In fact, he is true humanity. You want to know what it means to be the best man you are? You want to know what it means to be the best woman you are? Look at Jesus. He is the, per, the pinnacle and truth of what humanity is like. We make mistakes and we go, oh, never mind me. I'm, I'm just human. What an insult. Jesus says human is brilliant. And he is the perfect human and he is the perfecter of humanity. Not just a human image, but says that he is human. But this image, the son of man and the ancient of days... John is amalgamating into one. And what is he saying? He's saying that this vision is man and he is God. The first thing he says is that Jesus is wearing a white robe with a golden sash around his chest. What he's describing is the, the garments of a priest of, uh, of Judaism. You read it in the Old Testament, this is what a priest looks like. And Jesus is described as the high priest, particularly in Hebrews. He is the perfect priest. He's got a golden sash around a white tunic. The, 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 the Latin word for priest is pontifex, which comes from the word meaning bridge. Jesus is the bridge. This is a classic evangelical picture, isn't it, of the divide between God and humanity. I love this because a child's drawn it and it just feels brilliant. And Jesus can straddle that divide between God and humanity because to God, he can hold the hand of God because he is God. He can hold the hand of man because he is man. And to God, he can present the face of humanity. And to humanity, he can present the face of God. He is the pontifex. He is the bridge, the only bridge worthy of us to go across that divide. He is priest and he is sacrifice. And he wears the wounds of the cross. That says white as snow. 
the projector could do an even better job if we could. His head and his hair were white like wool. In Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18, it talks about our sins being like scarlet, but they will be white as wool. David in Psalm 51, when he's mourning what he's done with Bathsheba and Uriah, he says, cleanse me with hyssop and I will be white as snow. I will be clean. This image of white hair and white, um, white beard, it's about the purity and utter holiness of Jesus. And if we deal with the holiness of Jesus, we have to deal with the horrendousness of sin. That's why the Old Testament is a bit gruesome at times. Because it, it gets home to us how seriously God takes sin. He takes it seriously because it is the antithesis of holiness. Christ is holy. Remember when Jesus walked the earth, when he touched people who were unclean, According to their customs, he should have been unclean afterwards. Instead, he conveyed clean. He conveyed holiness. And his eyes are blazing fire. Yeah, this sounds a bit like Superman and X-ray vision, doesn't it? His eyes are blazing, like blazing fires. It's not just looking at, but looking into this is a gaze that can look into your very soul. You know when you, you're talking to someone and they're looking at you and you just know that they know. <laughs> they don't know what they know, but they just know. Magnify that to an eye-piercingly blinding, flaming eyes, staring at each one of us into our minds, into our hearts and our attitudes and our souls from whom nothing is escaped. He sees in every wavelength, light, ultraviolet, radio waves, and infrared, the visible, the invisible, the soul, and the spirit, and the mind. He sees it all. He knows the sins and successes of the past. He knows our feats and failures of the present. He knows our victories and our vulnerabilities of the future. And still, he loves you. There's nothing you can hide from him. You can put up uh, uh, some kind of barrier, a wooden shield, and the, the flaming eyes just melted away. Nothing escapes his view of you. And he says, I love you. When you hear that, believe it. Because we often go, yes, but if he really knew, he knows. Eyes blazing fire and feet glowing bronze the word is bronze brass it's an amalgam of starting off with copper copper is a great a malleable usable material but it's a bit weak and so it's mixed with tin to make to make bronze which is strong and it's durable that's what Jesus feet are they are strong and they are durable they can crush nations before him how many nations have come and gone throughout the ages? The, the, the vision of Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar, all those different nations, the, Syri the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Greeks, the Romans, the British, and Christ is still going strong. The Bronze Age transformed society from a Stone Age culture to a, a culture with, with a metal and metallurgy. It transformed the nations, that's what Jesus' burnished bronze does. They are burnishing bronze. It is glowing white in the furnace. He's been through the fire, 
and he comes out stronger for it. Strong and it endures. And his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. Have you ever been for a walk near a waterfall? Anyone? Have you ever been near a waterfall with a friend? Have you ever tried to have a conversation? Because <laughs> you end up going, you all right? Yeah, I'm fine. Thanks very much. Yeah, it's a bit loud, isn't it? Yes, it is. I wish we could turn this down a bit. It is incessant. You know there's a waterfall before you see it because you can hear it. It commands attention. It will not be quietened. The only way it can be quietened is if you go away from it. The only way that Jesus can be quietened is if you go away from him. His voice is like the sound of rushing waters, torrents of water. You cannot ignore. And then his right hand, he held the seven stars. It's a prettier picture than just seven stars. It's called the Pleiades, the seven sisters. He holds the seven stars in the palm of his hand. If you know anything about astrophysics, you know that a, a, a star is not a pinprick in the sky, but a colossal a nuclear gas reactor millions of miles across and millions of degrees centigrade, burning furiously. He holds seven of them in his right hand. They're images, of course. They're pictures of the spirits, the angels, the messengers, the leaders of these churches. He says to people who are being destroyed by the prevailing culture, he says, I hold you in my hands. To the church in Aleppo, to the church in Afghanistan, in North Korea, small as it might be, to the church in Skipton, who is told, you're dying. Have you looked around? God holds you in his hand. His right hand, his hand of power. And out of his mouth comes a double-edged sword. Believe me, some of the pictures looked rubbish on Google. It just looked like, it looked like Jesus was sticking his tongue out. It looked dreadful. But what's he getting at? A sharp, double-edged sword. This is the gladius. It's the Roman legionary's sword. And a Roman legionary would take pride in the sharpness of his sword. It was used for two things, attack and defense. In this country, in this culture, in this Western civilization, biblical literacy is dreadful. At best, people might say, yeah, I'm... Fewer people will be saying, I read the Bible every day. Some people will say, I read it a few times a week. Some people, once a week or when I hear it in church. Other people said, boy, it's a good collecting dust. And if we do not read the Word of God, how can we attack? How can we defend? How can we defend ourselves against the heresies that are out there, which are being swallowed, hook, line, and sinker by many in God's church these days because they do not have a knowledge of the Word of God, which is sharper than a two-edged sword, as Hebrew says, can divide um, bone and sinew and spirit and soul? How can we attack whenever we need to go and claim the land and the lives of those who don't know God, who are struggling out there? If we do not know the reality of Jesus, we will swallow anything if we do not know the truth. And so yet again, you expect it from us because I expect it of myself. We need to become more familiar with the word of God. We need to. This country needs us to. This town needs us to. Your family needs you to. Your friends need you to. By God, you need to. Otherwise, we'll create our own image of what Jesus is like and what he thinks. And his face 
was shining like the sun in all its brilliance. A few years ago, there was an ecl- a total eclipse of the sun here in, the, in this country. And for about a few weeks before it, there was like headline after headline and news report and letters to schools to say, please wear 17 pairs of sunglasses. Um, look through a sheet of plain steel. Um, it's the only way you're going to be protected. Otherwise, it will burn your head. It was that kind of thing. And please don't look at the sun. <laughs> it's not very good for you. But it was so bad the health and safety thing, that one person wrote to a national newspaper and said, right, if this whole eclipse thing is so bad, health and safety, then why is this government allowing it to happen? (laughs) Have you caught a glimpse of the sun? I love it when they say, don't look at the sun. (laughs) If you look at the sun and you can look at it for any length of time, you kind of deserve to have the damage because there's no way you can stare at the sun. These lights are bright and nothing to the sun. 96 million, billion, million miles, I can't remember the thing, it's gone off my head, away, but yet it can still give us sunburn. It can still light up the entirety of a day. And his face was shining like the sun in all of its brilliance. And as a response to that, John falls on his face as though dead. On seeing him, he fell at his face, dead-like. Is our vision of Jesus just a little bit too tame? Is it a little bit domesticated? Is it a bit easy to handle? Is he nice? Is he a cute picture of Obi-Wan Kenobi on our mantelpiece? Is he convenient to us? What's your Jesus like? Because if your image of Jesus doesn't at some point invoke you to fall on your face, collapsing in awe and wonder, let me tell you, mine and yours is insufficient. Because that is Jesus. But he's my friend. Cuddly Jesus, nice. He smiles and wears a rainbow t-shirt. Jesus, Lord of Lords, King of Kings. Yes, is your friend. Remember, he was John's best friend as well. And yet John is seeing his best friend glorified beyond words that he has to try and describe what a strawberry tastes like. He's describing the indescribable. But we get a good vision of what it's like. He falls at his feet as though dead, thinking, I'm going to die. But Jesus says, nope. I hold the keys of death. And hell. He reaches out his hand. It's Jesus' initiative. It's Jesus' response. And a picture which is actually encompassing the whole of incarnation, the glory of God that can hold stars, reaches down and touches filthy humanity and says these words Do not be afraid. I wonder, I've got a wee funny theory here. Have you noticed so far in this passage, John has not recognized that this is Jesus yet? His name's not been mentioned. It's just one like the Son of Man. In my little romantic imagination, I'm thinking this is like the the resurrection day when Mary hears Jesus say, Mary. And she turns around and recognizes him. Do not be afraid. And he recognizes the voice. And amongst the torrent of water sound, he recognizes words that have been said to him and said to others. On, a, on, a, on a, a raging sea in Galilee, 
do not be afraid. If this had been a comedy, you can imagine John turning to Jesus and going, Seriously? Have you looked at yourself recently? (laughs) Terrifying. Do not be afraid. His right hand, hand of power, is now a hand of peace. Throughout Scripture, God says in loads of encounters, Do not be afraid. He says to us now, do not be afraid of the powers and the authorities and the world's demands. Do not be afraid of Trump. Do not be afraid of Brexit or of the artificial intelligence which could rob your jobs. Do not be afraid of the rise of atheism and humanism. Do not be afraid of ISIS, Al-Qaeda or Al-Shabaab. Do not be afraid of the far right or the far left. Do not be afraid of the persecution in Jesus' name that you might experience at work or your friends might experience in another country. Do not be afraid of mocking and ridicule, confusion and rumors even when you're giving out cakes on a Saturday morning in Skipton. Do not be afraid. Why? Because I am the first and the last. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I hold the entirety of the cosmos and time and space in my hands. If time and space and everything that Stephen Hawking's interested in could be put on a piece of string, Jesus is holding it between his finger and thumb. I hold it. In my hands. I am the Alpha, the Omega, the A, the Z. I am the alphabet from error. Everything else comes. I am the living one. I was dead. And behold, I'm alive forever and ever. It's a bit like an I told you so moment. I told you I was the way, the truth, the life. I told you I was the resurrection and the life. And this is what it looks like. I am the living one. Do not be afraid. I hold the keys of death and the kingdom of death. I hold them. I've been there. I can unlock the door for you. So do not be afraid. It's one of those times, maybe when you're growing up, I certainly had it growing up, when you would get in an argument, well, it happened to me, with someone at school, and uh, You'd say, well, you know, well, you smell. Well, you smell worse. And it gets worse and worse. And then eventually you'll come up with the classic line, my dad's bigger than your dad. Our dad is bigger. He is bigger. There's many stories that are coming out. We've heard a few of them. Lisa shared um, one of her own. But there's many, many Muslim people and Muslim imams leaders of their communities who are having visions of Jesus Christ and they are becoming believers in Jesus the Messiah, in Isa, as they call him. As they see a vision of Jesus, some dramatic stories. They ask for a revelation of God and Jesus turns up and they don't, Jesus hasn't got a name badge but they just know who he is. It's not that, you know, you look like Robert Powell, you must be Jesus. They know who Jesus is just because Jesus stands in front. Believe me, when we see Jesus, we'll not be going, do you think it's him? You will know. You know. This, this book is called The Revelation or Revelation. Some places called The Revelation of St. John or The Apocalypse of St. John. It's a shame because they're both wrong. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ. The entire book, not just these few verses. It's the revelation of of Jesus. And if Lisa described the book of Revelation brilliantly as a work of art, a painting, 
with all those different brushstrokes that might get us all a bit confused, what we need to remember in this journey through Revelation, if we ever get confused and bogged down, we need to look at the frame because the frame is Jesus. That's why at the very beginning, this is what it says. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ. He is the frame. He is the painting itself. This whole book is revealing Jesus to a persecuted church. And that's what we need. What we need is not clever programs, not clever teaching or outreach techniques or clever ideas. We don't need Alpha. We don't need Christianity Explored. We don't need a new building. We don't need a new set of facilities. We don't need preaching, whatever standard we get. We don't need a great worship team with fantastic worship each week. We don't need money and resources. We don't need the freedom, the safety, and the security that we have in this country to worship Jesus. What we need is a renewed vision of Jesus. That's what we need. Because I'm pretty convinced that some of us have a Jesus picture which has got blonde hair and blue eyes and lives in the Oxford Children's Book of Bible Stories. We need a new vision of Jesus. It may be the first time you've ever had a new vision of Jesus because you've been going to church or maybe you've never gone to church and this is your first day. Or you've been at church but you've not really been at church. Or you've been a Christian for a long time but you've never seen Jesus. Or maybe Jesus is just from the childhood's stories or from the few times you read your Bible, we need a vision of Jesus because this world needs a vision of Jesus. They don't need clever programs. They don't need the church to be a great social provider. They need to see Jesus. And if we lose that, we become social services with a religious twist. Seriously. I need Jesus. I need Jesus probably more than ever in my life. I guess you probably do too. And literally and reverently, by God, this world needs Jesus. Reality revealed. A vision of Jesus that is accurate, is adequate, is actual. That will make us fall on our knees before God in prayer. And worship. He is the Lamb and the Lion, the beginning and the end, the King and the servant, the judge and the victim, the priest and the sacrifice, the punisher and the punished, the justice and the mercy, the judgment and the grace, the power and the gentleness, God and friend. Do you know him? Do you know him? Do you know him? Amen. Let's pray together as the band comes up.